This podcast is brought to you by A Hotel Life, an award-winning travel website and community founded by Ben Pundell. This episode features Amy Sacco, founder of Lot 61, Bungalow 8, and New Dot Yorker. of you who don't know for those of you who have any interest whatsoever amy and i have a very special relationship we met in 1998 when i was doing an event in in new york and i owe everything i owe my entire existence in the u.s <laughs> to amy sacco she for some reason decided it would be a great idea to move me to new york to run her first place uh, which we'll get into in a second so i am forever indebted to you for, Thanks, believe, for, for believing hey, me. And she says, thank you. No Amy. problem. Where's the dowry? <laughs> I really cannot be more excited to be chatting to you today. And the excitement that I've been feeling on social media ever since we posted that uh, we'd be having a chat was exceptional. So thank, yeah. thank you so much for your time, Amy. And first and My foremost, pleasure. how are you and where are you? I'm good. I'm in New York. I'm in my apartment. I just lit the fireplace for you. So that's nice. Very nice. A little chat by the fireside on the couch with Amy. 50 ways to leave your liver. All going down. But everything's good. Yep. So personally, you're good. You're in New York. You're. I'm in New York and I'm very fortunate because, you know, I have a nice apartment and, you know, I'm sitting by my fire. I did a jacuzzi and yoga this morning. And, you know, I'm, I'm right by the park. And even though you can't access it, it's still, you know, you can go a little bit. And how about professionally? The world's on hold, the world's on pause, hospitality, travel, it's on pause. Professionally, you're taking, you're taking a break or t tell us what's going yeah. on. The nicest thing about working as a consultant <laughs> is that there's plenty to do all the time. And actually, I've never been busier. And I'm very super excited still. And I know that uh, hospitality market is going to be hurting for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we went through this bend at 9-11. Mm -hmm. Like when, when things shut down and it takes a year, year and a half to get back. And, you know, New Yorkers as well as Americans, the world is very resilient. And, you know, I'm confident that they're going to find some more ways to help us get back out and socializing in person. But, you know, this is what's so great about social media is look at all the attention and love and everything people are spreading around the world messages and chatting with your friends. I mean, this wasn't possible back then. That's right. So the comfort factor, and that's one of the great pluses of social media, the comfort factor of being, you know, able to FaceTime with your family. So you're connected and you're alone, but not alone. So Lot 61, it was in a really desolate neighborhood of Manhattan. It yeah. was in probably the city's, if not the world's most notorious, leather gay bar district you embarked on this venture at a time when very few women if any were in nightlife the lot 61 was filled with rubber couches from a mental institute and you had a 25 foot damien hearst on the wall you know what inspired you to open lot 61 i guess what said if i looked around at other people and i thought if they could do it i could do it too you know, I've always loved hospitality. I've been doing this since I was, you know, a kid from waitressing, co-checking, et cetera, et cetera, going through and 
my first break was a hostess job at Boulay, you know, in, in the, I think it was 90, uh, 1986. I don't even know. I'm terrible with time. Yeah. So what inspired me was basically to try to find the cheapest rent I could afford. Right. <laughs> and that was West Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, everything I build comes with the layering of all the different people. So, you know, Yvonne Forrest Villarreal, who's my, mm -hmm. you know, lifelong best friend, helped me put the art up because we were broke. And she called and spoke to Danny Moynihan. And, you know, Danny and her figured out how to get Damien Hurst to do his first and largest spot painting, the 17 by 7 Hurst uh, that we had for years until Damien got it back. It was completely unprotected and at head level behind a booth. Yeah. And you know what's so funny is back then, it, no one was really doing art, aside from like, you know, Palio or some like great places that did, you know, kind of Rococo or muralistic art. Yvonne thought that it would be great to do site specific. So as she was the, you know, she's missed the doyen of the art world at our, you know, formerly at our production fund, but you know, she still, you know, does, um, now I'm going to forget and she's going to kill me. <laughs> I'll think of it in a second. But uh, the artists bringing in the culture and kind of, you know, acknowledging the neighborhood. The same way that when we went to London together, to do bungalow, we like to acknowledge like the neighborhood surroundings. So the art world was a big important thing. At that time, it was really only Paula Cooper. But Damien was amazing because I think at the time, one thing you said to me was that like somebody had got ketchup on it and somebody's hair gel had smudged on the back of it. And I think you said to me uh, once, maybe in, in 1999, you said, call, call Yvonne, get in touch with Damien somehow, figure out what to, to do cover it. completely unprotected. Damien Hurst came back and said, that's part of it. That's it, living. That's it, breathing. The hair gel, the ketchup, the you know, hand smudges all over it. It was part of it. People were up on the up on the banquettes dancing. So no, it's very it's very interesting. It's very part of that. And Damien, you know, used to come there all the time, and you know, had quite a good time enjoying enjoying his painting. And I remember also the night. You remember when uh, Simon Le Bon got up on top of the table and started you know lip syncing to I think it was Girls on Film or something. <laughs> right in front of the hearse. I go, you can have a better concert backdrop. What happened to the Damien Hearst? Um, Damien took it back and I think A.B. Rosen bought it for like two million pounds. And I'm like, wait a second, I want that back. So I wonder if it still had all the hair gel and the ketchup stains and the they hand smudges. No, actually, we kept it quite good because, you know, I inspected those things daily because we also had the Sean Landers and the David Sally and the Rudy Stingles and all of that and Jorge Pardo. So we had quite a big collection. And the only things I didn't worry about were the mental institution couches. There was nothing you could do to damage those things. I saw I, people I, try. I think we've seen everyone try to damage something at some point at any, any one of the bars we've been at, but people really tried hard to, to get those things locked up. Do you mm -hmm. have a favorite, favorite night from Lot 61? My favorite night was Giorgio Armani. He had, can, they had to cancel their show and I think it was Paris at the time, and they moved it to New York for some kind of, you know, reason, striking or something. And he had 250 of the most beautiful people in the world, probably half of them were A-list celebrities, come and have, you know, dinner and dancing with us. And I remember going to the booth and asking Sophia Loren, De Niro, and Scorsese how their pasta was. I just wanted to fall. I was like, well, hi. And you remember Sean, you remember Sean Lee? I recently saw him and he made my gown that for that night. And he was doing my, he was doing my hair in the loo. <laughs> the food at Lot 61 was absolutely incredible. 
Chef Arlene Jacobs, there you go. You know, I met her when I was working with Jean George. We did Lipstick Cafe and Vong together. So Arlene was the chef of lipstick. And uh, we used to do Time to Make the Donuts at four o'clock in the morning, go in and open up. And I met Arlene there. And that was very early on when I came to New York. It's probably, I guess I came here in 90. And by 92, I think I was with Jean George. It was a different time. It was a very it was a different time. I started at Boulay and then I got the privilege to go work with Jean George. So it was fun. Then we did lipstick and then, but I've always had a passion for food because, you know, if you're going to eat it, it better taste good, especially right. when you're paying for it. If Lot 61 was the, was the appetizer, then undoubtedly Bungalow 8 was the main course. And I think this is what everybody is waiting to, to hear about. It was a true New York moment in time, an absolute phenomenon. How on earth did Bungalow 8 come to this world? Lot 61 was actually named after the lot number on the city map. So I, I thought about that. And as you know, I love Chelsea so much and the art scene was burgeoning and I went by a gallery and I saw this a fantastic, you know, piece by Jeremy Blake in the window. And I went in to inquire about it because it was very pretty and very evocative. So I went into the gallery to look at the project and I said to them, you know, why, what was the inspiration behind all of this amazing work? And they said to, you know, to me, it was based on the Beverly Hills Hotel. Now at that time I'd never been to LA. Mm. So I went through the whole show and I was so enamored with his work and, um, you know, the colors and it was all done on, you know, I think it, it, Yvonne's gonna kill me cause I'm gonna misquote this, like printed on Plexi or it was, it was luxury, it was gorgeous. It was very colorful, but they, it was a, based on a book the Beverly Hills Hotel about Pink Palace Revisited. So I got the book. And then I kind of envisioned what my version of old Hollywood would look like, because I'd never been there. Mm -hmm. And I read the book and it was very fascinating because it was Mary Pickford and uh, Douglas Fairbanks and Charlie Chaplin that started MGM. They were the first to colonize Hollywood, to, to make Beverly Hills. So everyone used to go out to the great Beverly Hills Hotel the Gettys and all the Rothschilds, et cetera, and all the great American dynasties. They used to summer out there. So Mary and Charlie and Douglas loved the hotel so much. They bought all the land behind it. They threw up all these great bricks and, and, and strings and said, sold, 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 and created this entire of what is now Beverly Hills, but all the bungalows behind the Beverly Hills Hotel. So I just kind of ran with that concept of what, what it would be like if you were in Hollywood and you had your own bungalow, which is a table, what do you have in a bungalow? You'd have your mini bar, you'd have your palm trees. And then we went through with Yvonne again, came on board and um, we had Lucas Michael who helped us with the, the Vignolis, which was amazing, to put together this entire inspirational package of my 20, what time was it then? I guess it was 2001 vision of what old Hollywood would look like now. And just for those that, that don't, don't know, Bungalow 8 was on 27th Street between 10 and 11 before anything was on 27th Street between 10 and 11. And the art world was burgeoning. When, when did Bungalow 8 open? 2001. Bungalow 8 opened in 2001. How big was Bungalow 8? You know, it was a capacity, a technical capacity, we'll say technical of 120, 120. And we, it was always like 200 people in there. Right. So, so, so the place, place was not big. About 2,000 square feet. Amy, the Guardian in the UK, typical Brits, said, how on earth did such an ordinary looking place become the 21st century Studio 54? 
I mean, I never saw that. I never read the press because I, you know, you can't get high in your own supply. Do it. And then if do you it. read a bad one, it's six in your craw. But I like that. Thanks for you, mentioning it. You and I know each other very well. I've never Googled you or been through the press. I highly recommend it. There is some absolutely amazing stuff there. Uh, incredible. I highly recommend that everybody Googles Amy Sacco and looks at some of the press because it is absolutely bonkers. And you have to remember that this was a time before social media. It was the last time we could all go out and get crazy and be yeah. naughty without it being everywhere in, in a second. So I think, so, so, sorry, Amy, this is your, it's your question. So again, the, the, <laughs> the Guardian in the UK said, how on earth did such an ordinary looking place become the 21st century Studio 54? You know what? I didn't get to go to Studio 54 because I was too young. So, you know, in, in deference to our great Ian, you know, who's so magnificent and, you know, put me in London at the St. Martin's at Bungalow 8. But I think that, you know, eclectic mix of people and, you know, just the right timing. And if you think about it now, like, what is the right timing? It, everything came together in a way that, you know, was unprecedented then. But Bungalow was known for its cross-generational, cross-cultural yeah. mix. That certainly added to it. You know, I'd already had lots of C1 for about three years at the time. So I knew a lot of people because contrary to having people think that I, I never was a model and I never was an actress and I never knew anyone in New York. And I came from a four-star restaurant background. But having had lots of 61 success, I was able to kind of curate a much smaller microcosm of that. And that, you know, I love eclectic. I, I don't like any, could you only listen to opera for the rest of your life? Could you only eat pizza? Well, maybe, but you know, it, wine is fabulous, but sometimes you want a cocktail. So you need to see all those things in one space. And if you're creating something that's unique, it's the people that really make it the most unique because style and design are beautiful. But if you don't have the team, which we have the most incredible family, which you know you were a part of for a long time and still are my family. And like, you know, having people like a team like Disco at the door, Lily and Uncle Mike and Mateo and Coleman and, you know, Bonnie and Belinda and all the DJs. And there are so many of them watching this chat, Amy. And I, I, I am- Is Huey on here from the criminals? I'm No, but Fast is. Fast, Fast! fast is. Yeah, Fast, Fast is here. I, just, I saw him join. Hopefully he's still Fast, with, I still have a crush on you. We all, we all have a crush on Fast. I mean, look I at that. I know. You know. Okay, so the, the people, the people you worked with, you're absolutely right. I wrote down Lily and Daryl and Josh Whalen and Erickson Darryl, and, Darryl. and Uncle Mike and, of course, Disco. Uh, I mean, wow, to this day, I'm sure you still know them all. You know, Matias, who just opened his own place, so we'll all go to support Lulu's in uh, Chelsea when this is all over. How did you find all these people? What was the criteria for hiring them? Because, you know, there were times, and I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm gonna butt in again for a second. There were people doing some crazy stuff. There were, <laughs> I mean, there were people doing some really crazy- Really shit. crazy stuff. So, but they're the most wonderful creatures in the world. So how did you find uh, all of us, I guess? And what was your criteria for hiring people? I always feel the energy. If you came in and you had a positive, bright energy like Sarita Tabaras, who we love so much. Remember Mar Sarita or Britt Morgan Sachs, who's I know on here now. Um, you know, Britt went to Harvard and I, when she came in, I tried to warn her off me. And I said, I'm like, Britt, what are you doing here? I'd like, can I switch places? I'll go to Harvard and you can take my job. There you go. But 
I think you hire people on energy and, you know, there are questions you can ask everyone of whether they really know how they do their job. Those things are easy, but you have to feel if somebody has soul. And I know you got soul, and if you didn't, you shouldn't be in here. Switch gears a little bit, Amy. In 2003, and I have done my homework, in 2003, the New York Times attributed the success of Bungalow 8, a dance between glitter and darkness. That is why Bungalow 8 was so successful for such a long time. What's your response to that? I think it's absolutely true. Right. And, and I even have another one. My friend Josh, Josh Lucas said to me once, he's like, Bungalow 8, you never know what's going to eke in under the door at any time during the day or night. New York is fun. I mean, it, it has been fun for decades. And we're just going through a moment. It's not even the COVID or anything else. Nightlife has changed in New York. And we will get to that later. But you have to, it, you have an eye. Either you have an eye for it, you have a gut feeling in your stomach for what is a balance of those things. It's, mm -hmm. it's really not easy to teach. You know how to do it. There's a few people I know how to do it you know, of, of how a, you have to be a little gritty for the city. And we've lost a lot of our grit. Everything is so homogenized now. So glitter and darkness is the most, most best way to describe it. I'd never heard that before. So I'm a little chuffed right now. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> and I, again, I highly recommend you read some of your own press from back in the day. It's really something else, Amy. I, I, I went down a whole rabbit hole of, of Amy Sacco and Lot 61 and Bungalow 8 press. That's probably my favorite ever. So, and I just heard that now. So it, it, it's a combination of anything. I mean, listen, nobody eats the same food no, every day. Nobody wants to see the same people every day. And, you know, it's kind of, you have to provide entertainment. And I think the best thing that Bungalow did was provide the entertainment of the people. And the people is what it's all about. Ask not what your party can do for you, but what are you doing for my party? So you Thank better you. come dressed to impress and you know, prepare to, to play and give it your best and your all. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to when we can put our phones down again. Do you think that's ever gonna happen? I want conversation to make a comeback. Hmm. Not just conversation where we're, we're like, a lot of people I know might be on this and it's in the background chat where they're on their computers or they're, they're you know, baking pot brownies or whatever they're doing. You know? <laughs> Send them over to me, I'll give you my address later. <laughs> You know where I live. In general, I think that we've lost the art of conversation. I think that people, you know, you go to dinners and everyone's on their phone. Da, 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 da. And at Bungalow, one of the greatest things was these people actually met and spoke to each other. You know, when you look at all the people that are checking in and the people that may not have now, but that can't be live or online, but it was so great. I mean, you could meet anybody there. You could be sitting next to somebody at three, four, five, six in the morning. And, you know, it could be a skater kid who, who you had you interviewed, Biden? Inter interviewed <laughs> but didn't want to give a job to, but actually thought they were, they were cute. Or, you know, a celebrity or a hip-hop mogul or, uh, you know, it was incredible. And, and, and that didn't really exist at the time. So you managed to put all and these people together. It doesn't exist now, which it is doesn't exist sad. Now. Yeah, that's right. very sad because, you know, I think that it was... The, the difference is now with the social media is that people are so much more attached to the device and I'm loving it right now because we get to have a chit chat and we get to see all of our old friends. It's very inspiring. So there's so many positives and so many amazing things that has changed our life, especially getting through a crisis like this and being able to chat with your friends uh, live or on FaceTime, etc. But in essence, there's no 
conversation anymore. Everyone's on their devices. But when you sat at Bungalow, you would sit down and, you know, you would sit down next to somebody. And then I just introduced everyone, say, you need to meet this person. Oh, and you're here and you need to meet that person. And this one needs to meet this one. And remember what was Dynamo? Shout Dynamo, out to Dynamo, who came in to do Bungalow 8 London a lot and would do great tricks for us for fun. And I remember introducing him to James Gandolfini. I can only imagine the relationships that were forged in one way or another at Bungalow. Favorite night at Bungalow 8 or story you'd like to share? Uh, Is that possible? It's kind of impossible, but I was talking to Mr. Del Toro the other day about pissing in my palm trees. <laughs> Wait, Benicio Del Toro was pissing in your palm trees? That was funny. But I think the greatest night was Clooney's birthday after the Met Gala. That was great. Because that was just like, you couldn't move an inch without bumping into, we had the Cruises, the Beckhams, you know, and we had John Mayer singing him happy birthday with I think Fergie and like, it was, it was wild. It was wild. It was wild. Fireman came in to bring him his cake. And by the way, I know George isn't listening, but if, if Randy or Cindy on you, I'm out of Casamigos. What are Casamigos doing for me right now? That's right. I need you more than ever. It's Casa Me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, Benicio, for that. I now can't un unsee that. You brought me to, to New York in, in 1998, something I will always be indebted to for. And in 2007, we brought Bungalow to London, to, yes. St. Martin's, to St. Martin's Lane. And you've always loved the, the Brits, I, I, I think. So, so what, was the, what was the excitement? What was the impetus behind, behind going to London? You were, remember? <laughs> you had just gone back to work with, with Ian Schrager and you had that beautiful space. And it was Camilla Alfayad's 21st birthday. Yes. Remember, that was one hell of a party. And I came to London for her birthday to see you to look at the space. And I remember that all the Brits would come to New but York to bungle away. And then, so you, you, you knew all these, you know, all the, the Kate Mosses and the people in the fashion world and the fashion art, uh, you know, and, and film that was happening in England in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s. So bungle away in, in London was, you know. Insane. 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 You know, all the Brits like to test it out. So for a couple of months, it was a good warm up, And then all of a sudden you had Amy Winehouse trimming my bangs and cutting, cutting Jepson's hair, giving him a full bowl cut in the office and DJing for us. And the Arctic Monkeys and the Gorillas. Yes, right, and, uh, right, right, right. The and Bex was doing the cocktails. And we had, remember, Zachy and Chris Swack and all the fantastic DJs. And of course, the fun-loving criminals were spinning for us too. We can't have this conversation without talking about the fun-loving criminals. We have to. Yeah, of course. The night that I met you at Law 61 for the first time was with Spacey, uh, uh, Dana, and Huey. That makes that sounds about right. Yeah, what a time. And then, you know, they were huge in London, the fun. London. I know, and it, funny enough is that they were so big in London, but we, you and I used to give them so much crap because in New York or America, no one knew who they were. Right, and, and they liked they, it though. And I, when I went to London for the first time with Huey and there were girls throwing bras at him, I'm like, oh, so you're not full of shit. <laughs> it, always, it always blew my mind. So, Amy, we've, we've, we've had appetizer, we've had main course, dessert is Betty. Betty was a restaurant that you had at London Terraces, a beautiful, beautiful restaurant. Um, why, when you'd had so much success in nightlife, did you decide to then open, open a, a restaurant? 
Well, because I don't think of myself as being in a box. And I come from the restaurant background, which nobody ever really knew because no one really actually reads through a lot of these pieces. It's like right. uh, starting out with, you know, Boulay and Jean George and working in four star restaurants. And, and uh, then going into nightlife was really kind of a accidental tourist thing. But Betty itself was, you know, of course, named after my mommy. And I know she's not watching this because she doesn't do social media, but that's okay. I forgive her. Um, so shout out to Betty, who's in Jersey right now with her COVID lockup. But um, I, I just wanted a place to go and eat. Everyone was going to somewhere to eat before they were going out. Mm. So it just made logical sense to me. Plus, I, I had, you know, been in the restaurant business for such a long time. Remember when I got two stars from Ruth Reichel at the Times for Lot 61? You were there. And then we also got the same for uh, Betty, got two stars sometimes. And it just, you know, was a cozy neighborhood kind of taverny space to go to before you walked four or five blocks afterwards to start your party. And it was just a great, I mean, truffle fries. I, I remember the cocktails and the desserts were exceptionally good. Uh, so. Again, Arlene Jacobs was a driving force behind making that so great. Well, it's very, very much missed. Amy, we're going to do a quick fire round now. I'm going to ask you questions, and you've got to answer as quickly as possible. This should okay. be fun. We'll start off easy. What's your favorite cocktail? Uh, watermelon martini. <laughs> There's a story. Uh, first job. Do me a flavor, scooping ice cream. <laughs> Amazing, do me a flavor. Oh, no way. Yes um, way. Do you have mafia ties? Uh, I always say yes, but I have no idea. <laughs> How's your love life? Um, I'm dating three men right now, Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon. Good job. Good job. Okay, was there really a helicopter on the menu at Bungalow 8? Yes, there was. The did, you, did you really see Kate Moss karate chop Owen Wilson in the neck? No. Let's say you did see Kate Moss karate chop Owen Wilson in the neck. Would he have deserved it? No, he's such a sweetheart. I don't think that ever happened. I don't know. Somebody lied about that. Fair enough. Last Kate question. doesn't hit people either. On season four of Sex in the City, which character referred to Bungalow 8 as a completely pretentious, members-only, tiny, crowded club that you need a key to get into. Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, Carrie Bradshaw. Nailed it. Last question. Which celebrity was the best DJ in the early 2000s? Was it A, Bruce Willis, B, Kate Moss, or C, Paris Hilton? Kate's, a, Kate's very eclectic. Paris is very good, too. Now I'm in trouble. <laughs> hey, let's have a redo. Have you been taking taking life online or digital detox during this lockdown? Digital detox. You know, it's it's such a funny thing. I haven't had a break this long since I was like 12 years old and had a summer off, you know? So for me, I've got like a hundred books that are always stacked by the bed and now to read books, to cook again and to have really time to have meaningful conversations with friends not a hundred of them at the same time. Um, and honestly, I, I love being by myself. It's like, cause I'm always around everyone. So it's a really wonderful break to have time for me. I was having a conversation this morning with some friends in the industry in London. And even though it's absolutely horrific to see what's happening to the hospitality industry, it is giving a lot of people a little time 
to actually regroup, reset, and rethink how they want to re-enter the world when, when we can. And it is, uh, you know, I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying, I've never been home so much. I'm enjoying time with Tansy. I'm enjoying time at home. I know. I Tansy might want to throw you out by the end of this and decide she's going on her own. Tansy, let's go on a bachelorette tour of Asia and everywhere else. <laughs> so with that said, any, any silver linings you think that, that will come from this? You see, like after large crises like 9-11, everyone came together and really were very supportive of each other. That lasts and that charm lasts very little uh, time, though. So it'll go back to the to the bump and grind. And I always a great period for artists is times like these to come up with new solutions and, and see who the visionaries will be of that. I mean, I've had such a wonderful time being home and having the moment to really literally create again. Because mm -hmm. it's just so noisy now. If you don't answer your phone within five seconds, someone's calling you again and again and again, or they're right. texting you um, and f trying to FaceTime you. And, and there's no regard for time or for, you know, getting back to people. I think that having time is so precious. The time to really think is even more precious. And I think it's been, it's been fantastic. I mean, I've had so many amazing ideas that I have too much of a full plate already thinking about you know, opening back into this again. And so Amy, what is next for you? The most exciting project that'll hit New York in forever, the Amman Club, the jazz club at Amman. And that project, like everything else, is like construction still full blast and it's amazing. It'll be the most glamorous, most sophisticated and chicest place to open in literally two decades. And it, it couldn't be opening at a better time coming out of this when people really want. And I think we, it's like, you know, Justin Timberlake, you know, brought some sexy back. And I think that Amon's gonna bring, you know, the glamour back to New York. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very much looking forward to that, that project opening. I'm working on a beautifully sexy airline as well. That's a New York, London, the London City Airport, Odyssey Air, which hopefully will be around and, and getting launched out within a year and a half. And then, you know, I have this incredible partner, Brian Weissman, uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee, and we're building the most incredible boutique hotel down there. And that should be online in about three years. It's a kind of a fantasy. I met him, we met two years ago and I became a partner with him because I looked at the project and I couldn't think of something that I wouldn't love more when I saw the whole thing. And his brother, Wade Weissman, is an architect and they put together this really delicious, eclectic mix that I can't tell you too much about because you're going to see it when it opens in about three years. Sounds like you've got a lot going on. That's absolutely right. And I just want to say one thing before, before we end. Tonight is, uh, is Friday night at seven o'clock. Remember, clap because we care to show our gratitude and appreciation for the healthcare workers of New York. New York's taking a bit of a beating right now. So please make sure you do. There's no greater New Yorker than Amy Sacco. So thank, thank you so much for your time, Amy. Um, Amy, if anyone is bringing it back, it's you. This podcast is brought to you by A Hotel Life, an award-winning travel website and community founded by Ben Pundell. This episode features Amy Sacco, founder of Lot 61, Bungalow 8, and New Dot Yorker.